our family just got in from the Pacific Northwest yesterday, and so uh, a little jet lagged, uh, a lot of caffeine. Um, caffeine doesn't make you more awake, it just makes you more shaky. Uh, so I could thread a sewing machine with it running. It's uh, about what I feel like right now. Um, but it's, uh, it's going to be a fantastic day. We, we were um, looking, at, we were going through all the national parks out in the Pacific Northwest. Our, my wife and I have this uh, goal of we're trying to hit as many national parks as possible before our kids get out of the house. And we do believe in Jesus' name that one day they will be out of the house. <laughs> so we hit six national parks up at the Pacific Northwest and had a blast. We used to do it in a camper. That was a lot of fun. We, uh, in 2015, we took a camper out west, went all the way to Yosemite, over 9,000 miles. And we had 13 national parks. And uh, we didn't know any better, you know? We were just like, hey, this is fun, this is great. You know, had no problems, no problem. When you have confidence in something, it'll make you do things you didn't realize you could do, right? When you have confidence. Sometimes you have too much confidence. And you do things you should never have done. Right, you do some dumb stuff because you're overconfident. But confidence will make you do a lot of things. We had confidence in our truck. We had confidence because we had a Chevy, amen. Yes, hallelujah. And uh, we had confidence in our camper, had never had a problem with our camper, drug that thing all the way to California and back. It was fantastic. And then the next year, we decided we'd just, you know, do a simple trip, go to the beach. We'll go to Myrtle Beach. And uh, went down to Myrtle Beach and, um, Right outside, probably an hour, two hours past Richmond, we hear this boom. And, uh, you know, what was that? Look in, the, look in the side mirror, and there's rubber going everywhere, and it tore up the side of my camper, and we pull over, and it's no big deal. You know, that's what we have. That's why we have spare tires. Change, you know, like Dukes of Hazard. All right, Tommy, here we go. Changing the tire, slap it back on, down the road we go. Uh, 20 minutes later, boom. So uh, we pull over, and we blew another tire. Uh, that, one, uh, that one's a little frustrating, because I don't know about you. I, I'm not like you. I don't carry two spares. <laughs> and uh, so we had to pull over and stay in this, some gag-nasty hotel. And uh, we were waiting on um, roadside assistance. Never showed up. Um, called road. You know, that's what they're supposed to be there for, and they weren't there. And we just stuck out there, you know, next to Cracker Barrel. Thank God for Cracker Barrel, right, uh, with uh, home cooking in the flea market out front. Um, and I, I kid you not, we have a golden doodle, and we brought our dog with us on this trip. More people, actually all of the people who stopped to talk to us did not ask us if we needed help, did not ask us if they could help us, did not offer any assistance. They simply wanted to know what kind of dog we had. <laughs> what kind of dog is that? It's so pretty. Oh, we're stuck. Um, so no big deal. We wake up the next morning, change all four tires. I'm not taking any chances. Going down the road, my 12-year-old, Dad, I got to go to the bathroom. Like, we, we just left. This is, this is, all dads have the same curse, right? The kids always have the bladder the size of a pea. And so, I, you know, I pull over, mad, you know, they want something to drink. I'm like, I don't care. Swallow your spit. We're getting where we're supposed to go. So we pull into the gas station and I might as well get gas. They're, they're going to go empty their bladders. And my wife said, babe, I think something's on fire. <laughs> you can't make this stuff up. <laughs> and uh, I'm like, well, nothing's on fire. She's like, no, there's smoke coming out of the back of the camper. I'm like, you got to be kidding me. 
She goes, there's a hole in the tire. I'm like, what do you mean there's a hole in the tire? She goes like, here's the tire. There's a hole in the middle. And I walk around and there's smoke pouring out of the hub and I had burned through a bearing. So, um, uh, first time I was like, ah, but, you know, maybe we can give up this camping stuff. And the second tire, I'm like, I'm giving up this camping stuff. The third time, I'm like, give me a match. <laughs> Burning the camper. So uh, I'm on the phone with a, a buddy of mine, uh, Willie, who works here now, and he's like all things mechanical, and he's trying to help me out. My wife is in Burger King, and she's doing what any wife would be doing at the time. She's like, boys, we're going to pray right now, uh, because if we don't, your dad's going to lose his mind. And so she's like, God, you're going to have to help us. Please save my husband. Uh, and she says, amen. And she looks up, and there's a guy standing there, and she walks up to him, and she goes, are you a mechanic? And I've asked her afterwards. I'm like, why did you think this guy was a mechanic? She's like, well, you look like a mechanic. <laughs> what does a mechanic look like? Well, he had a rag hanging out his back pocket. <laughs> so uh, he goes, well, in fact, I am a mechanic. So he, uh, she takes him outside. He goes, my husband's having trouble with our camper. It's like, yep, you've, you've burned through a bleep and bearing, and you need to bleep and do this, and bleep, 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 bleep. The, Fill in the blanks with, yeah, you got, you got it. And uh, I was like, well, what do you do for a living? He goes, well, I fix big rigs. I'm like, you're kidding me. He goes, no. I said, where's your garage? He goes, three minutes around. He said, he said follow me. So we limp the trailer over there. We pull into this garage that's bigger than this building. Like, you can fit, like, six semi-trucks inside of it. Like, we just literally drove our camper inside, and he is doing it. And this guy, his name's Donnie. He was an angel. Didn't sound like an angel. Jesus. And then the kids were very fascinated with what he was doing, but we were like, boys, you need to, like, he's speaking a different language. <laughs> Let's just move you over here. And uh, Donnie was, was awesome. I mean, just a, just a blessing. And, uh, you know, I tried to pay him, and you know me, I'm really emotional. He's like, I'm not taking any money. I'm like, oh, you man. <laughs> so we, we get to where we're going. The year after, we decide we're going to go to Acadia in Maine. Now, out west, all the confidence in the world. We can do anything. We can climb any mountain, which we quite literally did. Uh, now we've lost all confidence in doing this anymore. And the whole trip to Maine, we're driving like this. Looking in the side mirror. Just, are the wheels still there? Yeah, I think the wheels are still there. I smell something. You smell something? I smell something too. We need to pull over and check. It was miserable. So when you have confidence, you'll do crazy stuff, right? You'll do the outlandish. You'll do the impossible. When you lack confidence, man, you kind of, you kind of shrivel back. You don't, you, you're, not as, you're not as bold in what you could do. The Bible says some things about this. It says, faith is confidence in what we hope for and assurance about what we do not see. Faith is kind of the lifeblood of our belief system. Faith allows us to do things and believe things and achieve things we never thought possible. Why? Because it's confidence. Now, we don't know who wrote the book of Hebrews. We think it's possibly the Apostle Paul. What we do know is that whoever wrote the book of Hebrews was very, very astute in in the Jewish religion. He knew everything about the Jewish religion, very, very educated. For kicks and giggles, we're gonna call him Paul, okay? 
And Paul is writing to the Jewish believers, those who used to be Jews and now are following Christ, who live in Rome. And he writes this book, Hebrews, as a defense of the faith. Why does he need to do it? Because they're going through hell. They think that it might be easier to just give up this Christian stuff and go back to their old belief system. See, there was an emperor in Rome, Nero, and he was a savage. And it's rumored that he set Rome afire and then blamed it on the Christians. And what he would do is he would drag the Christians and persecute them, bring them into the arenas and say, you need to renounce your Christianity. You need to sacrifice to Roman gods or we're going to kill you. They would set them afire at the stake. They would behead them. They would open up the cages and let the lions out on them. And the believers in Rome were going, ah, this, might, this, this is too difficult. I, I think it would be easier to go back to what we knew. I think it'd be easier to go back to our previous faith because I knew the rituals and I, I knew the steps and I, I knew the words to say. I knew when I walked into church how I was supposed to behave and I knew the Christianese that I was supposed to use and I knew um, how to walk and how to act and had on a pretty face and I was kind of in control of what was going on in my life. Now there's Christianity is kind of shaking everything up like I don't know if I can handle this. And he writes the book of Hebrews as an apologetic of the Christian faith. How do I know this? Because he says this in chapter 10. Don't forget all the hard times you went through when you first received the light. Sometimes you were abused and mistreated in public. And at other times you shared in the sufferings of others. You were kind to the people in jail, and you gladly let your possessions be taken away because you knew. This is why. Because you knew you had something better, something that would last forever. So keep on being brave. I know it's hard. I know it's difficult. Just keep on being brave. You can do it. It will bring you great rewards. And then all through Hebrews, he makes a defense of the Christian faith. He says, listen, Jesus is better than the angels. He says he became higher in rank than the angels, just as the name he inherited is superior to theirs. He provides a better way through salvation. Even though we are speaking this way, things are difficult right now. Dear friends, in your case, we are confident of the better things connected with salvation. He says that Jesus provided a better promise, a new covenant, a better covenant. But as it is, Christ has obtained a ministry that is as much more excellent than the old as the covenant he mediates is better since it is enacted on better promises. He says that Jesus is a better sacrifice than the old sacrificial system. For by one sacrifice, he has made perfect forever those who are being made holy. And if you know anything about the old sacrificial system, it was constant. It was all the time. In fact, this author, Paul, says that the problem with the old sacrificial system is it reminded you every day of what you had done wrong. It reminded you every day of your sins. It reminded you every day that you weren't enough, that you missed the mark, that you weren't what you weren't measuring up. But here it says, by one sacrifice, he has made perfect forever. 
those who are being made holy. No more old sacrificial system. No more one sacrifice, the Son of God, Jesus. And then he coins this phrase, now faith is confidence in what we hope for and assurance about what we do not see. Now, why does he do this? Because he's trying to embolden them. He's trying to help them not to give up. And that's what I want to do for you today is help you not to give up, to embolden you. Kind of, kind of a good vibes series. I want to give you a little bit of a pep rally. Speaking of pep rally, you ever watch the spelling bee? Whew. Not a pep rally. It's, it's rough. They, they bring these, these kids up. This, this year, do you, do you know how many, how many people won the spelling bee this year? You should be able to say one, right? Because you win something, that's one person standing on the podium with the trophy because they won. They beat everybody else. Not in the spelling bee. Eight people won the spelling bee. Because they did away with the tiebreaker system. Eight kids have their hand on the trophy. You can look it up on Google. They're all holding one trophy. I don't understand the spelling bee because I think it's a little cruel. Because when you bring a kid up and they spell it right, there should be a reward. There should be a yay. A horn sounds, a gong, a chime or something. Nothing. You get up there and you spell uh, whatever. I'm not even going to try to say the words. That those, uh, they're making up half of the words, I promise you. <laughs> Supercalifragilisticexpialidocious. You bring up their nameplate. <clears throat> Super, S-U-P-E-R, blah, 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 blah. That's if they get it right. There's nothing. Guess what they do if they get it wrong? They ring a bell. <laughs> Bing. Super calorie. Uh, C-E-R-P. Ding. Oh, I failed? <laughs> it's the opposite of what it should be. But they ring the bell. Bing. But what do they do when they get up there to spell a word? They ask 100 questions. They should do a time limit. I think that's what they should do now. They should do like a blitz. You got 10 seconds. Go. They say, uh, can you use it in a sentence? Uh, can you use it in a sentence again? Uh, can you spell it backwards? Uh, can you? But one of the things they do is very helpful. Can you give me the origin of the word? Well, this is a French word, and it means blah, 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 blah. Uh, this is a Russian word that means blah, 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 blah. I'd use that when I don't know what else to say. <laughs> What's the root word here for confidence? It's actually two words put together. The word to stand and the word under. To stand under. What does that mean? Well, if you think about it, a foundation stands under a house. It gives it security. A foundation stands under a building and allows it to rise high. And the higher it rises, the deeper the foundation. It stands under something to give it confidence. Do you see where that's going? To give it surety, to give it uh, um, a boldness, to give it 
a rock solidness. In fact, this word actually has been used many times in different translations to mean a title deed. So if I sell you something, you give me money, I'm going to give you a title deed as a proof of ownership that what you have is actually yours. It is a surety, right? Now, if you're my age, which I'm 40, um, and you grew up anywhere in the, Christian, uh, in the Christian faith, you've heard of the King James Version, King Jimmy. King Jimmy says, faith is the substance of things hoped for. Okay, all right, I see where they're going. The substance, it's substantial. Um, the only problem with that is that this word actually has a connotation that it's doing something. Well, substance isn't doing something, it just is. Faith just is, isn't just substance. Faith is, what, 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 could be a, what could be a good word for this? Uh, faith is the substantiating. Okay. Faith is the substantiating of things hoped for. Now, Watchman Nee is an author, a missionary in China, he says that substantiating something is basically you have the faculty to make real a substance to you. Now, where a substance just is, substantiating is it is real to you. If I was to hold up a red hanky and I was to say, what color is this? And you had your eyes closed, you wouldn't know that it was red. That doesn't change the fact that it's red. But if you were to open your eyes, your sight would substantiate the fact that that hanky is red to you. Does that make sense? Now watch this. We went to Crater Lake. We got up on the rim. We drove up there. We look in, and, and no one can describe to you the blue that is in Crater Lake. It's a volcano that collapsed on itself, and they said it's the bluest, clearest, cleanest water on the planet is in this lake. It's not just blue. It's not just royal blue. It's like, it's like heavenly electric blue. I can describe it to you, but until you go to Crater Lake and substantiate it with your own eyes, it cannot be real to you. Now, conversely, we went to Mount St. Helens. Mount St. Helens is another uh, volcano. There's Listen, I don't think I could ever live in the Pacific Northwest because we saw earthquake evacuation routes, um, tsunami evacuation routes, and volcano evacuation routes. You never know when they're going to hit. It's just like, boom! Here, we have hurricane evacuation routes. At least I can go, I got five days. <laughs> Mount St. Helens. We go to Mount St. Helens, we go to the visitor center. We go in the theater, right? We go in the theater and we listen to this horrible film. It's so bad. And, and the guy is narrating. The, the camera work is shaking all over the place. And my wife and I are like, oh, I can't watch this. I'm going to get sick. And the guy's like, the earth is a disruptive, disruptive force and it's remaking itself from the volcanoes and the plates are crashing into itself. And in 1980, Mount St. Helens blew. And there's a great loss of life. And the camera's shaking everywhere. Then at the end, the climatic music is getting louder. Subs are roaring. The volcano's erupting. Boom, 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 boom. The music. The screen goes up. Up goes the red curtain. And there is a big bank of fog. 
wonk. We're like, we drove all the way up here for this. It was like an hour and a half drive. And the lady was like, oh, don't worry. We only see it 100 days of the year. Like, could you not put that down at the interstate? And like, hey, just warning you, you're probably not going to be able to see what you came to see. Now, my sight could not substantiate the fact that Mount St. Helens was there. Does that change the fact that Mount St. Helens is there? Does not change it one iota. Here is what I'm getting at. You may not yet believe that God created the heavens and the earth. You may not yet believe that God sent his only son to walk among us. You may not yet believe that he lived a sinless life. You may not believe that he went to the cross for you and for me and died a brutal death. You may not believe that three days later he got up, defeating death, hell, and the grave. You may not believe yet. You may not believe yet that he has a better plan for you, but it does not change the fact that all of those things are true until you have the faith to substantiate it for yourself. That's why, listen, that's why, excuse the puberty, that's why, that's why the Bible says that the preaching is foolishness to those who yet believe. Because they can't substantiate it. Faith is an action. It's making it real to you. And this is what he does next. He lists a whole chapter of people who, by their faith, substantiated things they could not see yet. Abel. He had faith, offered God a better sacrifice than Cain did. God was pleased with him and his gift. And even though Abel is now dead, his faith is still speaking today. Isn't that amazing? His faith is still speaking today. Enoch, he had so much faith, he didn't even die. God said, you're doing so good, I'm going to come and take you home. Noah, he had so much faith that he believed God when he said, hey, it's going to rain. I need you to build a boat so you can save mankind. Noah's like, what's rain? I've never seen rain before, but he had enough faith to build a boat. Abraham had enough faith that he went to a land he had never seen before. Listen, I'm going to fly through these. Watch it online. You can pause and read it for yourself. All right. Even Sarah. Sarah was so old. She was dirt old, and she had enough faith to believe that God was going to give her a child. Abraham, again, he had so much faith. He's like, you know what? I believe that God's asked me to sacrifice my son, my one and only son, who he promised to me. I believe that God must must be able to raise him from the dead, so I'm going to obey him. Thank God that he didn't have to do that because God stopped him. Isaac had enough faith that he promised blessings to Jacob and Esau. Jacob had enough faith that he was able to bless, 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 bless all the sons of Joseph. Joseph had enough faith that when he was in Egypt, he said, I believe that God is going to take the nation of Israel out of here, back to the promised land. Please take my bones with you. Uh, Moses, Moses' parents, Moses' parents, not Moses, Moses' parents had enough faith. Listen, parents, it is your job to have enough faith for your children when they can't have faith for themselves. 
Many of you are here today and at all of our locations because your parents had faith for you. Every night I pray for my two children. They hear me pray every night. I pray, God, that you would bless them, that you would raise them up. Lord, that you would give, help them grow in wisdom and in stature and in favor with God and man. And they've heard that every night of their life, that they'd grow favor, favor and stature with God and man every night. They're probably sick of hearing it. I don't care because I have to have enough faith for my children. You've had grannies that have had enough faith for you, grandpas that have had enough faith for you, parents that have had enough faith for you. You need to have enough faith for your children. Watch, why is this important? Because Moses' parents had faith. Moses had faith. Moses had enough faith that he refused to be called the king's grandson. Moses' parents had faith. Moses had faith. And by faith, the people of Israel, millions of people had faith. They had so much faith that they walked across on dry land. God's people had faith. And when they had walked around the city of Jericho, the walls came down. Now we're not talking about single people, one at a time, two at a time. We're talking about millions at a time. Having faith. By faith, the people of Israel crossed the Red Sea. Rahab. Now we're talking about a prostitute? Hold up. <laughs> Rahab had been a prostitute, but she had faith and welcomed the spies. And what more shall we say? Now he's like, I ain't gonna have, I ain't gonna have time. I ain't time to talk about Gideon and Barak and Samson and Jephthah and David and Samuel. So you got Rahab, who's a prostitute, you got Gideon, who is a coward. You got Barak, who, who shouldn't be here. It should actually be the judge, Deborah, who was leading the nation of Israel at the time. Deborah comes to Barak and says, I want you to take the armies and defeat this king. He says, I don't want to. I don't want to. I'm not going to go unless you go with me. So he doesn't, he, he's kind of like shriveling back. You've got Samson, who gives himself to a woman who cuts his hair off who is a spy, who is an enemy, he would rather follow his heart of lust than follow the commands of God. You've got Jephthah who says, God, thank you so much. I'm gonna sacrifice the first thing that comes out of the door to meet me. It was his daughter. Uh, you got David who has an affair. Then he has the guy killed who was married to her. Why are they listed? Because they had faith. Yeah, but they did so much wrong. Yeah, so do you. Don't tell me you've gone too far. Don't tell me you've done too much. Don't tell me that you're too far wasted. Because you're not. Because God can still use you. Watch what it says right here. Their sins and lawless acts I will remember no more. Same book, chapter right before. Why does that matter? Because he doesn't look any longer at what you did. He looks at what you can become. He doesn't look any longer at what you've done in the past. He looks at what you've done in the future. He looks at the evidence of your faith, the faith that substantiates and makes real to you the promises of God. Now, this is what they all did. Everybody in this chapter, who through faith conquered kingdoms, administered justice, and gained what was promised, who shut the mouths of lions, quenched the fury of the flames, 
and escaped the edge of the sword whose weakness was turned to strength and who became powerful in battle and routed foreign armies. Women received back their dead, raised to life again. There were others who were tortured, refusing to be released so that they might gain an even better resurrection. Some faced jeers and flogging and even chains and imprisonment. They were put to death by stoning. They were sawed in two. They were killed by the sword. They went about in sheepskins and goatskins, destitute, persecuted, mistreated. The world was not worthy of them. The world was not worthy of them. They wandered in deserts and mountains, living in caves and holes in the ground. All of them please God. Because of their faith. All of them. TJ, would you help me out a second? Just from here to here, would you just tape down the line? All of them please God. Because of their faith. In fact, in Hebrews, it says without faith, it's impossible to please God. All of them please God because of their faith. But still, they died without being given without being given what had been promised. Now, hold up a second. Faith is the confidence of things hoped for. It's the assurance of things hoped for. It's the assurance of things not seen. It's a prompt. I don't, but they, they died without being given what had been promised. Okay, well, there's got to be a reason. Thank you, Bible, for giving us a reason. This was because God had something better in store for us. And he did not want them to reach the goal of their faith without us. All of them pleased God. But they did not get the promise of their faith because us. God wanted us to all cross the finish line together. They have not yet received. That's what that verse is saying. All of them please God, but there's something better in store. And he did not want them to reach the goal of their faith without us. Then he says, therefore... Love this. Therefore, since we are surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses, let us throw off everything that hinders and the sin that so easily entangles, and let us run with perseverance the race that is marked out for us. All of them please God, but they're waiting for us. Therefore, since we are surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses, I am a sports fanatic. I can't play sports. I'm horrible at sports. I will lose my religion if I try to play sports. But I will watch sports all day long. I will yell at the TV watching baseball. I will yell at the TV watching football. I have yelled at the TV watching hockey. I have yelled at the TV watching golf. When Mickelson rung in that birdie putt to win the Masters, that was awesome. I've yelled at the TV watching NASCAR because I am from East Tennessee, and that's what you have to do. Um, 
I think I've actually yelled at the TV watching curling, uh, as a matter of fact. But one of the sports I, I mean, I mean, since Michael Jordan is not playing anymore, I haven't really gotten into basketball until last year. Because I'm a Tennessee fan. And Tennessee fans, we had something to cheer about in basketball. I love college basketball. You had Grant Williams, who just got drafted by the Celtics. He's getting in there, two-time SEC winner to SEC Player of the Year, and he's doing his little whoop, you know, just blocking the paint. You got Lamonte Turner. He's, he's going out there just, just, just whoop, hitting his threes. Jordan Bone, fastest point guard in college. Man, he's like lightning fast, just passing in between people's legs. I mean, he was incredible. Just got, got drafted by the Pistons. And now I have a reason to watch the Washington Wizards because they just drafted Admiral Schofield. Looked like a linebacker. Man, he's just, he's, he's throwing down man dunks. Boom! Just, just all jacked. You got Kyle Alexander, six foot 11, seven foot five inch wingspan. He's just in the paint, got, not in my house! Not in my house! Get out of there! They're awesome. Now, when I read this verse, that's what I think about. I think about Thompson Bowling Arena, 22,000 screaming Tennessee fans going ballistic. They're like, ah. it was awesome. Now I'm watching and I'm like, who are, the, who are those guys? Because over there on the bench, there are four guys, and they look like me. They look like they drove up in that place in their parents' wood-paneled station wagon. They, those four guys are the rowdiest four guys in the entire arena. They're going nuts. They're standing up. They got their towel. They're standing up on the chair. They're like, yeah, yeah, yeah. They're getting a the crowd into it. They're going nuts. And I'm like, who, who are these crazy guys? And the sportscaster said, I bet you're wondering who these crazy guys are. I said, well, thank you, Mr. Sportscaster. He said, these guys are the walk-ons. I'm like, the walk-ons. So I actually looked them up. The walk-ons, they get no scholarship. But they work just as hard as the starters. They get no money for school. But they travel to every game. They don't get the accolades the starters get. They're not the starting five. They're not putting up points every night. They're not putting up double digits. They're not blocking shots. But they're over there losing their ever-loving mind for their teammates. And if you're really lucky, Tennessee's winning by 30. And the sports announcer goes, and here come the walk-ons. And the coach goes, time out. Time out. You four, let's go. And I was really lucky because on senior night, 
They're winning by like 100. Coach calls timeout. Here come the walk-ons. And they're out there dribbling. They're doing their thing. They're doing their thing. Brad Woodson, he gets the ball. He comes over here. Brick. Oh, the whole, the whole arena, I'm not joking you, the whole arena goes, oh. I'm like, I'm thinking, I'm thinking of this first since we're surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses. I'm like, they're all cheering for the walk-ons. They're like, oh, dribbling around. They pass the ball over to Lucas Campbell. Whew. Brick. Oxygen sucked out of the room. Oh. Then Brad Woodson, he sneaks over the three-point line. I throw him the ball. Three. Nothing but net. You know, the people who lost their mind the most, it wasn't the 22,000 in the arena. It was the starters. Grant Williams over there. Grant Williams over there. He's swinging his towel. He's losing his mind. You think the chair's about to break underneath him? You're praying for the chair. Please hold Grant Williams. Kyle Alexander over there. Lamonte Turner, they're all there chest bumping and they're high bobbing. They're like, ah, he did it. He did it. He did it. He did it. You would have thought. You would have thought they just won the NCAA championship. No, they went from winning by 100 to winning by 103. It wasn't that special, but the starters knew the effort. The starters knew the patience. The starters knew all of the blood, all of the sweat, all of the tears. The starters knew, and here's what I want you to know. Here's what I want you to know. Read this. Sit down, sit down, sit down. Got 2.45. Look what the message, the message says at this. And let us run with perseverance to rate marks. Here. Do you see what this means? All these pioneers who blazed the way, all these veterans cheering us on, it means we better get on with it strip down, start running, and never quit. Why? Because the starters are on the bench and they're going, come on, come on, yeah. They are losing their ever-lover mind, watching you take threes, going, oh. Oh, try it again, you got it. They're saying, I believe in you. They're saying, go for it. They're saying, don't give up. They're saying, have enough faith. They're saying, keep on being brave. Keep on being brave. They're saying, run hard. Pin years back and run hard. You can do it. They're saying, never quit. Never quit. And all the people that are not listed in that chapter, all the grannies and grandpas and cousins and uncles and great, great, greats, 
that went before us, all the pioneers of the faith, all the pioneers of our families, they're watching down from heaven. They're going, don't give up. Don't give up. I know it's hard, but don't give up. But why? Because they're cheering you on. Because they're right here. I love this. There's, they're right here at the finish line. They're going, come on. I'm not crossing until you get over here. Come on. Come on. We're going to cross together. We're going to do this together. Come on. Come on. Come on. Come on. Because we're all going to cross together. That's what I'm cheering you on. Don't quit. Would you bow your heads and close your eyes? I just want to pray with you. If you've just tired and you just feel like you, God, I want to quit. I don't know if I can do this anymore. Just raise your hand. I want to pray for you. Gosh, there's hands everywhere. I'm sure at every campus. I'm going to have the campus pastors on the stage. God, I just want to pray, Lord, that our faith can sustain our brothers and sisters in their hard time. Lord, that we would do this together. Lord, that they would find a community, Lord, that could embolden their faith and give them the strength and give them the confidence to not give up. Lord, help them hold on. Because all of heaven is looking down and cheering us on. In your name we pray.